the man, the myth, the archetypal father. Hmm. This is our topic for today. Why do we need to talk about the mythic masculine? Oh, well, it made more sense last week on Father's Day, but like many dads we know, I messed up the schedule, and so we are doing belated Father's Day today. Not everyone relates with Father's Day. Does anybody here refuse to celebrate Father's Day? You don't have to self-identify. Okay, a couple of us refusers. Uh, anybody just, well, I, don't know, I don't know how I feel about all that anymore. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So not everybody relates any longer to this particular celebration, maybe our own experience with what the label fatherhood or father means has left a bad taste in our mouth. At the same time, more and more people are questioning the usefulness of traditional, you know what traditional means, it's been around for a long time, but it was made up arbitrarily, traditional gender roles, more and more people are questioning the usefulness of traditional gender roles, and especially the binary conception of gender. Maybe now is the time when I should share that joke I had for later. It was, I saw this great little meme online that was... Um, it was the, the dress code for boys at a Mormon school. And it was like no long hair, no beards. You have to wear pants and shirts and things like that. And then it had a picture of Jesus next to it, breaking every single one of the boy dress codes, even the piercings. That, that was my addition to the meme. The rest of that was borrowed from the internet at large, but the piercings part. I nailed that. Nailed that one. Oh. <sighs> nailed it. It's all that cross. It's all that CrossFit I've been doing. Makes you sharp. Okay. So many are questioning traditional, meaning old and arbitrary, gender roles, and especially the binary conception of gender. So please don't worry. I have to give this disclaimer because hey, the mythic masculine. There are people who are out there who are teaching like very new agey, healy-feely sounding ideas. But at a certain point in the workshop, they're like, but you know, men are like this and women are like that. And it's like, I think that might just be made up in a lot of ways. That concept might be uncomfortable for some of us. So if I'm doing my job right, it's not great for the marketing all the time, but a minister basically is supposed to make most of the congregation uncomfortable most of the time. So let's, let's see how we do. We'll see you at coffee hour when the masks come off, literally and figuratively. Okay, what we'll find today, the, the reason why I'm willing to deal with all this discomfort is that if we ignore the archetype of masculinity or fatherhood, those archetypes don't just go away. If you ignore an archetype, the, these, these aspects of our human expression, those things don't just go away. Instead, they go underground and manifest in toxic forms. Father is one of the more powerful archetypes that operates in us both individually and culturally. If we don't mature it, we'll deal with the toxic version of it. You've heard of this toxic patriarchy, have you? Are you around enough New Agers um, or deep deep ecologists uh, to have heard toxic patriarchy, right? Or sometimes just patriarchy and the toxic part is in, implied. Um, so if we don't mature, we'll deal with toxic patriarchy. And what that actually means is that 
we are not going to be able even to work toward taking down patriarchy because we won't have rule by fathers, by matured versions of a chosen masculine gender expression. We'll be ruled by boys. We are so lacking in rites of passage in the maturation of these archetypal energies culturally that all we have are these sideways immature versions of them. Since we're going to deal with archetypes of the human unconscious one way or another, we should learn what they are and which ones may best serve us. We're outgrowing a relationship with gender that's full of shoulds. Boys should wear pants and not have, uh, they should have beards or not. I guess that's context dependent, but we're not supposed to have long hair. We're definitely not supposed to do our makeup in the morning, regardless of what that one show on Netflix told you. And, you know, and this is, this is a, a bunch of shoulds. I believe culturally we're outgrowing the belief in arbitrary shoulds. Instead, we have an opportunity to enter an era of informed choice. If you're going, if I'm going to choose, yeah, I, I kind of like that archetypal masculine. There's, there's Zeus and there's Mars and there's Buddha, Padmasambhava, those are cool. Am I doing that as just sort of like a default instinctual reaction? Am I just taking what was handed down to me by construct dad and replaying that? Or am I doing it as a choice that's filled with love and from a motivation of love? Okay, so today, let us look at the archetypes of the mythic masculine. Topic number one, gender is a myth. Hmm. So about that binary, it's starting to look as if gender is a myth. Now, don't worry, some, some UUs are like science-minded. I do not mean that we should upset the, the biology of reproduction. That'll come up because we conflate gender and, bio, and biological sex, but gender is a cultural construct. We can tell because Jesus wore a dress, as did all the other dudes back in Jesus's day. That's what that's, that's probably was really, really comfortable, right? You just, a, a, should we call it a caftan? Is that a thing? Then that makes it more, you can wear a caftan, but not a dress, right? This is all bull. Okay. Sex and gender are two different things. One is biological and we don't fully understand it. The former is biological. We don't fully understand it. The second one is cultural and we also don't fully understand it. I don't know that we even begin to understand it. Also, when I mean to say, so then some people might think, oh, gender is a myth. So you're just dismissing the whole thing. No, man, you got to go back and watch your Joseph Campbell videos, the Power of Myth with Bill Moyers, classic. And he talks about this very same thing. I think this is where I got it, that like people say, if something's a myth, like that's dismissive, right? Oh, that's just a myth. In this terminology, myth means it's dwelling in the interiors of the human psyche. So myths, as far as I'm relating to them lately, are things that are hard to measure externally, except for like by self-reporting evaluations, which you know lab uh, scientists really just hate the self. How strict with your control group and all this, you know? But because they're interiors, you can't really put the human psyche under a microscope. This is the realm of where myth lives. The myth doesn't mean something that's non-existent. Myths point to the interiors of our psyches. The gods and spirits and elementals of old have not been found through laboratory analysis, 
but they are found in our minds and hearts. Thinking literally about mythology, like we do when we say that like gender norms are a real thing as it has always been, thinking literally about mythology would be like hearing the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. And we're like, okay, now wait a minute, let's check the facts. Where exactly was this bear's house? Was this in Germany or Switzerland? I, I need to know the original town of these three bears. And okay, Goldilocks, how old was this child? When exactly did this happen? Was this in the 1700s? You don't do that for a myth. It doesn't exist in that way. The three bears didn't exist in Germany. They still exist in our psyche. And even all the way up to really wild mystical stuff, like when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Huh? WordPress has a, a real problem with that kind of grammar, but it's it's that it's not in the it's not in the type of history before Abraham was in your interiors. I still am already there. It's okay. Enough about the things that turn my brain on. So it's not a mythology isn't a history, but that doesn't mean there aren't valid elements to it. So the first thing I want to say about men, with my air quotes, fathers, masculinity is that these things do exist, but in a mythic realm. They don't exist in a material realm, a findable concrete realm. They exist in the interior. This implies a couple of interesting notions. First, if it's in this mythic realm, then one person or group can't tell another whether they are allowed to be manly, masculine, fatherly, or paternal based on some arbitrary exterior condition. Oh, your hair's too long. You can't be manly. Oh, you wore a caftan. You can't be a father. None of this, none of these external markers actually apply to whether one group is allowed to say what constitutes manliness and who's allowed to express that. Really quite cool. Second thing that this implies is that myths may be somewhat built in to the human psyche. This comes from Jung's work on the collective unconscious, and then I also borrow from Joseph Campbell's work on global mythology. While that work has sometimes been disputed, don't, don't get me wrong here, what they have found is that mythic themes seem to repeat themselves from culture to culture to culture. In my Taoist lineage, for example, we have uh, lineage protectors who look kind of like Dr. Strange and the Incredible Hulk. We have a, a Taoist character, this famous sorcerer that they still invoke in modern rituals. His name is Zhongkui, and he's followed by bats, and he dispels the forces of darkness, and he's basically the original Batman. He's the original Chinese Taoist Batman. Super cool. So quite universal. Uh, if the notions of manliness or fatherliness are mythic in this way, it means that they are part of our human psyche we must deal with. We must deal well with this or face the consequences. Point number one, manliness is a myth. You get the title now? The man, the myth, the archetypal father. The next thing we have to talk about, our second point, is that we have to talk about spirit possession. Okay, now then I'm supposed to pause so you all think that during quarantine, the Rev went like full pre-modern paganism. That's right. Now I need to tell you about spirit possession. Okay, this, don't worry, this is also a Jungian concept, and it has to deal with this mythic 
realm. In Jungian psychology, they have an interesting notion that if an archetype is ignored, or if one is in wrong relationship, one could be possessed by an archetype. Now, this is not as far out as it, as it may sound, because have you ever had a thought pass through your mind, and then you're kind of like listening to your thoughts, and you go like, what the heck? That was Aunt Matilda. Has anybody ever heard their mom, like their mom's voice in their head? Just the three of us. Okay, no, I know it's more common than that. I watched Oprah. I know this is a thing, right? You know, so you're you're trying to cook a cook a chicken, and you know, and then somebody's like, they'll nickel and dime you to death, and you're like, Uncle Joe, that's. But you've been thinking that as your thought for the last fifteen years until you until you caught them, right? There's a there's actually a lot of work in psychology about deprogramming automatic negative thoughts that you just inherited before you had enough critical awareness to choose. No, I don't like that one, right? Somebody said, oh, people will always betray you. And then you were six, so you just believed it, right? We can be possessed by these archetypes unless we do the work of going in and exorcising them. Sorry, Aunt Matilda, you've been exorcised. Okay, other good examples. Have you ever seen anyone maybe in the news or in your own life who seemed to be possessed by Ares, the god of war? There are folks who are, they're stuck in martial mode. They can't get out of the martial mode. Another common one, mercurial. Have you ever met someone of a mercur mercurial temperament? Do they still use that word? I'm always getting outdated. Mercur Have you ever met someone of a mercurial temperament? I see one now, there she is. This guy too probably, I'm getting, yeah, I knew it. You, you artist, you wonderful artist types. Okay. so. Um, Dionysians, have you ever met a Dionysian? Yes, <laughs> or, and then there's a difference between Dionysus and Bacchus, but we'll save that for, man, that's a long talk. Okay, so mercurial is a good one because it's a figure of speech, or at least it used to be, that we have woven, it's a mythic element we've woven into modern culture. A mercur mercurial person flits about, dwells in ambiguity. Nowadays, they call those Geminis, if you're into your astrology, um, and, the dictionary definition is subject to a sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. This is mercurial. The interesting thing about this is that some people use this to their advantage, while others, in others, it can wreck their relationships or their resume. So for example, uh, if you're using this mythic mercurial archetype to your advantage, perhaps you're a polymath who can see the essence in many different subjects. And you're like, oh, this, this summer I'm studying the calculus, but next summer I'm studying ancient literature from such and such, wow. And you, you glean it, right? You're a gleaner. Um, or what else? You might be a novelist who can write from many different perspectives, right? You jump in to the father archetype and then you jump in to the rebel archetype and you can actually write from all these perspectives. That might be using Mercury to your advantage. Instead of being possessed by this, you might be invoking Mercury, or in ancient India, you might be something of an avatar of Mercury. On the other hand, if this is just an unconscious part of you, you might be a serial monogamist who can never settle down. They call me the wanderer, something like that. Um, who else? You might be the not quite jack of all trades and also definitely not the master of any because you just fiddle. You're just a fiddler, a dabbler. Just maybe it might be a dabbler. Okay. 
This may be the real phenomenon underlying what the ancients meant when they said you were possessed by a certain spirit or energy, right? So if mercury is just running your life and you're not in charge, there's just this willy-nilly sort of, you know, slapdash energy, then you don't get to decide whether you benefit from that or not. They call this a type of possession. Another great example is jovial. Have you ever met anyone jovial? <laughs> of course you have. Here are some of them now. <laughs> okay, blessed by Jove, Jupiter, right? Jovial is blessed by Jove. Um, the older version is Jovian, which uh, came from the French, from the Latin, which meant you were born under the influence of Jupiter. So very similarly, like some jovial people just make other people uncomfortable. Jovian people, they're just way too big and in your space. And other Jovian or jovial people are gregarious and generous and always good humored. There's a difference between embodying an archetype versus being possessed by an archetype. Why should we care about our Taoist pagan reverence musings on spirit possession? Obviously, toxic masculinity. Point number three, when you don't give these myths their due, they squeeze through the cracks. When you don't give these myths their due, they squeeze through the cracks. Okay, did anybody want to see this new series they put out on the Norse god Loki? Is anybody watching the Disney Plus series? Okay, anyway, you know who Loki is, any of you mythologists, right? The, the Norse god of mischief, of chaos. Yeah, he's, he's they, he, they, she. He's gender fluid, so you can kind of use any of those, apparently. Um, they are the god of mischief and chaos. So in this series, the premise is, I won't, it's all, this is all in the trailers, no spoilers. Um, he gets uh, caught by the time variance authority, which they keep the one sacred timeline without any deviations. And they're like, yeah, we're going to make the god of chaos work for us. Does that seem like a good idea? Oh, yes, we promote order throughout the universe. We're going to make the God of Chaos work. It, it's not gonna work. So spoiler, this part is a spoiler. I, I foresee the series is that he's gonna totally upset the so-called order of the, the entire thing, right? This is what happens when you don't create right relationship with archetypal energies. Now you have an excuse to go watch shows on Disney Plus all day and call it spiritual sacred sunday homework <laughs> sunday school all right so as a principle in the universe and humanity the mischief maker will have his her there do i'm not suggesting that we start reviving all the ancient fire rituals and seasonal sacrifices that our ancestors did but rather that we revive what those rituals meant if we don't pay a type of tribute to the mythic energies that live in us and through us we'll have to deal with them in ways that we are unprepared for. As Buddhists, we tend to work with the archetypes symbolizing the awakened mind and awakened energies of life. We, we meditate on archetypes that are about where we'd like to be headed. In other symbolic systems like the Greek, it's a more full spectrum uh, human experience. Some of those might not represent places you'd like to be headed, but they represent the totality of the interiors of what this human heart and mind bring. Our archetypes live on a spectrum. The science for this still seems to be Kohlberg and Gilligan's work of stages of ethical development. In, they did men, Kohlberg, 
women in Gilligan will probably need to expand that into non-binary gen gender non-conforming and how does ethical development happen there. But they did find that people, humans, tend to grow through a self-centric stage, through a conventional moralistic stage, into a type of universal morality. Kohlberg found that for male identified people, that tends to be about universal rights and freedoms. For female identified people, that tends to be about universal care in this natural process of growth. And then you'll have to figure out how liberalism and conservatism wrote, because they also have freedom versus care, but different story. Anyway, there's a spectrum. There are mature flavors of, for today, masculinity, fatherhood, manliness. There are mature flavors of this that one could embody, and there are less mature and more self-centric flavors that are more appropriate to a child. If we want to get rid of the toxic patriarchy in the world, perhaps we might need healthy fathers because the great thing about healthy fathers is they don't want to rule. If you actually mature the energies of masculinity, healthy fatherhood longs to serve. There are four and we'll do them quick and then we'll finish up. In uh, Jungian psychology, the four main archetypes of the mythic masculine are the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover, the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. If you embody the king, this is like, it's like the secure attachment figure dad that I think anybody might want in their life in some form or another. They're sort of just like radiating presence and stability. This is the ancient role of the king. If you cannot mature this masculine type energy into the king, you get either weaklings as an archetype or tyrants. You get the archetype of the weakling or the tyrant. And then you may be aware if you watch the news at all, sometimes you get weakling tyrants, possibly the worst combination. So that makes it really real. You know, it's, oh yeah, maybe you're stuck in the binary mode. No, I think we really need to look at the archetypes of masculinity because it's so ingrained in our culture that if we don't have healthy ones filling up the space and the airwaves, we're going to get exactly the worst representations of these energies of the human soul. A mature magician archetype might be a scientist or a wordsmith. They are clergy people, initiates into hidden knowledge. When not brought to maturity, one can become a shadow sorcerer, aka the propagandist. We've seen, we've seen a bit of that lately, haven't we, as well? The hero is an archetype of great strength and discipline, willing even to sacrifice himself for a sacred cause. Without the energy of the hero, you get bullies and workaholics. You get bullies and workaholics. Don't we have enough of those? I think we have enough of those. We should have done, I need a hero. Okay, next, next year when I recycle this sermon, forgetting that I ever taught it. And finally, the lover, which is not just about romance, but about aliveness, about passion, and about sensitivity, about sensitivity. This is an energy that has long been denied to masculine gender expression, because for masculine expressing people, sensitivity is a sin, according to cultural norms. Instead of a true lover, you get the Lothario, that's your vocabulary word for today, or you get the addict. One is not allowed sensitivity and can thus only become addicted to sensation. Concluding remarks. If we are at all in a forward-thinking community, 
we'll have thought about the problems of the patriarchy. But if we know both our Latin and our mythology, we'll understand that the real problem is the puerarchy, the rule not by fathers, but by boys. Fathers don't want to rule, fathers want to serve. As we move forward into a world where our prior understandings of things like gender are all transforming, we can hold to the ancient archetypes that live within us all and dance within our relationships and societies. If your gender expression is masculine or you know someone who is, let us take up that expression consciously and honor and express these sacred qualities of the human heart for all of our benefit. <laughs>